All right, hello and welcome again to another exciting adventure on the uh, Encounter Path. Uh, this is going to be Sunday, July 25th, 2021, and it's going to be over Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11. We're going to entitle that The Joy of Forgiveness. Again, it's following up last week, talking about Psalm 51 and the lack of confession from David and how it ate at his soul. But then uh, the end of that was David confessed. And then in Psalm 32, we talk about the joy of forgiveness or the blessedness of, of those who, who um, receive forgiveness. So um, thanks for prayer. This week will be the last week of the three blocks of the pause program. So if you've got a student uh, in the pause program, be sure to pray for them and uh, look forward to meeting some new people. We have, have a class that starts on Tuesday. We're talking about the Old Testament and also Christian education. So excited to be able to do that. But pray for our candidates as they go through the pause program. and um, That will be a benefit to them. So we'll get into this, uh, our prayer for illumination today. Holy God, word made flesh, let us come to this word, open to being surprised, silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual attachment, confound our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears, penetrate the corners of our hearts with this word. Amen. That's really good prayer of illumination. The person who wrote that must be on fire. And then our memory verse for this week, Psalm 32.1, happier are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And some translations translate that blessed is the one whose whose transgression is forgiven but we get to the point happy there's a there's a state of being in which it's a it's a good thing it's a blessed thing to be forgiven and sin covered so in our introduction uh, dr qualls talks about a time at camp where he was leading a exercise in which questions were asked and Sometimes fortunately, sometimes unfortunately, you you know that during like children's moments at church or times at camps, people can be very, very honest and, and that that leads to good discussion. It also leads to times of healings or, or things like that. Um, in my class, um, I asked the question, the reflection question in this way. I said, recall a time when you've seen either you or someone has messed up and asked for forgiveness. <clears throat> what did it feel like? <clears throat> when uh, they or you were forgiven, right? So I don't want to threaten anybody or, you know, I don't want to pressure anybody into opening up too deep uh, in Sunday school, but also want to make sure that we, we talk about these things. I do remember, uh, this is my example. I don't know if this is too personal or not. I got married nine years ago and I was 32 years old. I had done premarital, premarital counseling. I'd done marital counseling. I know how fights go. And generally, I'm pretty good at making sure that I don't escalate situations. But about six months after me and Amy first got married, we got in a fight about money or something, because that's what couples fight about a lot. And, and uh, during the course of the discussion, it turned into an argument. And I said some things and she said some things. And I remember after that, I, I went to another room and, and these feelings of just terror gripped me. It was the first time we'd ever had a fight. It was really the first time we'd ever had any real big uh, disagreement in any way, shape, or form. And and I knew it wasn't the case, but in my back of my mind, I thought, is this it? <laughs> is she going to 
throw me out? Am I done after six months of a pretty good marriage? And, and so anyway, later on, I went to her, of course, and I confessed that, you know, I'd, I'd said things I shouldn't, and I got hot under the collar and she kind of almost laughed it off and said, we're going to fight more than this. And, and, uh, but she, what she did was to reassure me and, and, and in, in a sense, remind me of the commitment that we made that, um, her love and our, my love to her would overcome the, the bumps in the road. And there was a certain feeling of confidence or a certain feeling of, uh, safety in knowing that I had a relationship in which we may disagree at sometimes, but no one's going to cast me out of their presence. And we get that same feeling from God too. So you might ask your uh, Sunday school class, this is a good spiritual exercise, but reflect on their conversion experience or a time when they confessed to God and they received forgiveness or an assurance of pardon that was able to sustain them and push them past that, that little oops moment or that, that sin or, or what it may, whatever it may be. Maybe they can reflect on the time that they went down to the altar, their prayer confession, they're asking Jesus to be Lord of their life and these kinds of things. It's, it's a good exercise for people, but it also helps us to, to reflect on the goodness of God and that, that we are blessed because God is committed to us and we're committed to God. So anyway, that's how I'd handle that introduction. I'll let you read what Dr. Qualls has there. Now, that leads us to the exploring the scripture uh, section. Um, Dr. Qualls talks about how, at least in Psalm 32, you have this sense of blessedness once you've messed up because you receive forgiveness, right? So Psalm 51 is an example from last week of what happens when someone is trying to keep the law, but they fail, but they don't confess. And when they don't confess, it eats inside of them, like uh, fire shut up in bones in a bad way. And the consequences that, that develop when confession doesn't happen. Um, Psalm 1, for instance, think of it this way. Right? Psalm 1 says, blessed is, is the person. Let's see exactly what it says here. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. So in some sense, so first, um, Psalm 1 becomes somewhat of a descriptive or predictive text, right? It's predictive in the sense that if you are a person who follows the law and stays away from evil, it's predicting that you'll live a somewhat happy or blessed life. It's a qualitative thing. It's describing, does it happen all the time? Maybe not, because there's a lot of times when you do right, but you're persecuted. There's still a sense in which you're blessed when you follow God's law and you stay away from evil. Uh, then again, you have Psalm 51, where David fell from God's commands and laws, and he didn't confess. And so he was the exact opposite of blessed. He was cursed in many ways. But then here in Psalm 32, we read about how the person who has fallen away from God's commands, instead of covering their, you know, manipulating or not confessing, this person confesses. But then you still receive a blessing because you were once in a state of curses and unrepentant sin. But once you repent, things come to the light and you're restored to the, 
to that joy of your salvation. And so the person is blessed when they carry through God's word. The person is also blessed after they've fallen and then come back, comes back to a relationship with God. So Dr. Son Dr. Qualls writes, page 51, second paragraph, halfway through that paragraph, he writes these words. Here, blessedness is not a prize for a well-run race or a prom promise keeper's award. Peculiarly, strangely, audaciously, this blessedness is meted out to sinners who admit their oops. Charles Spurgeon wrote of Psalm 32, blessedness is not in this case ascribed to the person who has been a diligent lawkeeper, for then it would never come to us, but rather to a lawbreaker who by grace, most rich and free, has been forgiven, a full, instantaneous, irreversible pardon of transgression turns the poor sinner's hell into heaven and makes the heir of wrath a partaker of blessing. That's from the treasury of David. But I think that's right. Like, um, there's a sense in which there's a prescription of blessedness. Here's how to be blessed. Follow the law of God. When you fall from the law of God, this is exactly how you're blessed, is when you confess and you're restored into a right relationship with God. In that exploring the uh, scripture section, Dr. Qualls gives an illustration of a time that he and his friends steal some watermelon. And instead of getting his just results, uh, he gets to eat the watermelon. But he also gets to hear uh, some uh, instruction as well. But that uh, that's a good good illustration. All right, that leads us to the digging deeper section, uh, comparing scripture with scripture. Um, I asked this question to my class: How important is it knowing that you can make a mistake? Right, like, and you can look up Romans five one through eight. You can live a better life knowing that you can fail. I think that's probably the the biggest uh, help or aid to anyone is knowing that you have the freedom to mess up uh, without the fear of being rejected. It works well in a job, sports, um, performances like pitchers at the World Series, they can tie themselves into knots. But there's a sense in which you can live life knowing that you are free uh, enough to mess up. And knowing that when you do mess up, you can come back into the good graces of, of another person. Um, in this digging deeper section, um, Dr. Qualls writes this. The world tells us that people are worthy of being loved only if they are lovable. If their performance, possession, status, or appearance is good enough. Churches sometimes wrongfully send the message that God loves only if we love God enough. The good news is that the exact opposite is true. Grace is the Bible's one word declaration that God unconditionally loves us no matter who we are or what we have done. God will never stop loving us. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do that makes God love us less. God has never and will never stop loving us even when we are at our worst. So anyway, um, again, I think that's, there's a freedom in that. Like if you're walking on eggshells all the time, your preaching won't be as good. Like if you're a preacher under threat, uh, you don't preach as well. I've learned this. Uh, I'm a pulpit supply. 
at the New Hope Church. Um, my, I can tell a difference in my preaching. Like if nobody likes me, the worst case scenario is I still have a job, but I don't have something to do on Sunday mornings. And and there's a freedom in being able to say the things you want to say and and to and to pursue subjects that maybe you wouldn't if you're uh, paycheck dependent on it. These kinds of things. So that's one way I've experienced this: that there's a freedom in being able to make a mistake. And I think the preaching's better that way. By the way. Um, and then I wanted to say something else, just as a general. Uh, view when when we um, God can set His love upon us. It's also true that we can set our love on other people and people that we find unlovable. We can say that we can we can also act in accordance with with what God with God's nature. Uh, during the election, um, I was talking to a preacher buddy, and he said something that was uh, profoundly important. Um, I was talking about how the media treats candidates and how people that I know who were one way six months ago before the election and the way they act now. And I couldn't understand what was, what was going on. But that preacher said, once you make up your mind that you are going to like someone, there's nothing anyone can say that will sway that. There's nothing, there's no, there's no, um, facts that anyone can give you that will sway your opinion of setting your love on someone. So, uh, and then the reverse is true. If you've decided in your mind that somebody is not worthy, there's nothing anyone can say and there's nothing anybody can do that will sway your opinion of that person either, right? So anyway, I thought that was really uh, smart. Explain to me why people could excuse behaviors from either of the <clears throat> political candidates or whatnot. But it also then made me understand that this is how God treats us. God loves us no matter what. There's nothing that we can do, nothing someone else can do. There's nothing that can happen that will sway God's love toward us. And, the, and, and so anyway, the discussion question um, that I wanted to bring up for this week is how do you define grace? When is the time that you extended grace to someone? And I think it starts with that simple attitude in your heart that you're going to love people just as God and Christ loved us. And then it'll change um, how you view someone and it will allow you to forgive someone. So on. So I think that's pretty important. All right. That leads us to the learning from the scripture section. Um. And again, the discussion question for this section follows along with the last one. It says, how do you practice grace toward others, especially those whom you disagree with politically, socially, morally, or theologically? Um, you know, if you choose to love somebody, you're going to find reasons to love them. And if you choose to hate or not like someone, you will find plenty of reasons to not like them. But anyway, in our learning from the scripture uh, section, Dr. Qualls writes in that second Paragraph, first part of that second paragraph, I am loved, adored, and accepted. That is not arrogance, despite how it sounds, because I'm not taking any credit. Grace says my contribution is exactly zero, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Of course, that's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Perhaps that is why Paul is so talks so much about weakness 
when writing to the Corinthians. Um, we are accepted love by God, right? Um, and when we fail, we're still accepted and loved by God. We keep in our mind uh, that we are weak, uh, but we also don't just simply uh, take advantage of that. Um, or as, as it says in Romans, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Certainly not. Uh, it's always good to bring up a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote when, when, when possible. So this quote you've probably heard before, it says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. It's preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without the cross, grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate, right? So we don't want to do that for sure, but we are loved, we are accepted, we are adored, and then we can live, live in that. And so then the question then, the questions that come from this is, does grace produce humility in you? You are loved, you're accepted, and you're adored, not because you're special, but because God has simply chosen to do that. Then how do you practice grace toward others? Um, there's one kind of funny, uh, funny line in history. It's been attributed to many people, but it does sound very Winston Churchillish. Uh, Winston Churchill was listening to a general who thought that, uh, you know, he was God's gift to humankind. And uh, upon leaving, Winston Churchill said there, but by the grace of God goes God, right? And sometimes we have, I don't know, we portray these uh, pious and proudful attitudes toward people and we become insufferable, but we, we're saved by grace just like everybody else. All right. Um, that leads us to the applying the scripture section. And, um, and, and I think what I want to do, if I can figure it out, I tried this before I started recording, but that means absolutely nothing. Um, I'm going to try to share a video uh, that Dr. Qualls references in um, the Applying the Scripture section called A Game of Hope. So if this doesn't work, then you can go to YouTube and then type in A Game of Hope. And it is about the Gainesville State um, football game. That's well, I'm going to let you read that. All right, so let's try to do this. Share screen. All right. All right. More. Share screen. Event sharing options. Share sound, optimize for video clip. I think we've got it, my friends. When you walk around the grounds of Gainesville State School, you'll see just about everything you would on any other high school campus. There are students, teachers, a computer lab, and a gym. Except here, the students are convicted criminals. It's an incarceration facility kids that have uh, violated the law. Each day starts at a tiny dorm room they call home and continues marching from class to class, abiding by a strict schedule. In fact, the one thing that makes them feel like kids again is football. 
I'm just like, you know, remote model on campus. You know what I'm saying? Everybody want to play on the football team. Just to put on a Tornado's uniform is a reward, not a right. You must have good behavior and good grades. Not to mention, every game is played on the road. But it's worth it to escape on Friday night and enjoy a small piece of freedom they gave up. But each week, there comes that constant reminder of who they are and what they've done. They don't treat us as a regular person in the world. They treat us like we're just some alien just from somewhere out, just out of nowhere. I mean, they look at us like animals in a cage. Like we don't deserve a second chance or another opportunity to be something in life. After hearing the ridicule and losing eight straight weeks, the Tornadoes were once again on the road, traveling to play private school power grapevine faith for the first time, who had moved up a division. Their head coach, Chris Hogan, had a game plan in mind, and it had nothing to do with football. We were going to show them that in this country, if you make the right decisions, people will get on your side and support you, and it doesn't matter what your background is, you can make it. In a selfless suggestion, Coach Hogan sent out an email and requested his fans, his players, parents, do something so out of the ordinary in the football culture. He asked them to cheer for Gainesville State. These young men will not have any fans outside of the faculty from their own school. Their parents will not be there. I want some Lion fans to sit on the visitor side and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game. I thought, okay, this is, this is cool that Chris wants us to do this, leading up to it. But getting there that night, it was so easy to transition from being a fan for the Faith Lions to a fan for the Tornadoes. You know, the idea of, uh, of giving and just being there to support those kids, those young men that have never had that before. So for the first time, the always-on-the-road tornadoes would feel as if they were at home. And as kickoff approached, it was obvious something was different. It looked like they thought they were at the wrong end of the field because they know they don't have any fans. And we were just looking. I just looked. I just kept doing my plays. But I seen how they were split up, but I figured they just didn't have enough room on their side. I want y'all to line up in line. They make, they're making a spirit line. I like say what coach? What you say? Can you beat that? And uh, he said they're making a spirit line for y'all to run through. I like yeah, that's what's up, sir. That's what's up. When it happened, it was just it was dynamic. It was one of the most unbelievable things I'd ever seen. When I ran through this, like I felt like it was just like some like angels was on this side. This all I felt. I was just running through that fast as I can. I just feel the wind rushing my face. That feeling of being unleashed lasted throughout the game, and so did the cheers. We had a penalty like the third play of the game, and I heard booing behind me. I turned around, and it was the, the great man fan. I remember when I was making like a play, I made a chocolate, and people yelling my name. I'm like, I don't even know these people. They were just like ours that night. I, I can remember rooting for their little quarterback, and I felt like he belonged to me. Our kids were their kids, and their kids were our kids, and all kids were the same. It wasn't enough to lead the Tornadoes to victory. As expected, Grapevine Faith won 33-14, and the Tornadoes finished the season 0-9. But it didn't matter, because for the first time in a long time, someone was in their corner, and that alone was worth celebrating. <laughs> I was like, hey, y'all, this, this is going to get close, man. I don't care. I don't care if we lost tonight, man, because I was feeling good. I like, feel like we were losing the Super Bowl championship game or something. Like, we won that. I mean, winning, like, in our heart, spiritual-wise, I mean, we won. I've, I've been in state championships of different kinds, and there's nothing was like this. Nothing. 
Isaiah and the rest of the Tornadoes will never forget the feelings they had on that night. And while it didn't erase the mistakes they've made, it showed 14 teenagers that regardless of the bad things they've done in their past, there was reason to look ahead. I cried. <laughs> when I, when, when after the game, I went back to my room, I cried. I think that your, your family are the only ones that love you. God ain't the only one that love you. Other people love you too. This is what I was hoping and praying would happen. I hope that it gave them hope. I see the world in a different way now. I mean, I'll just see, like, I'm the victim no more. So much love because, you know, I came from a broken home family. So, I mean, having all that love, it just, just rose my spirits up. They got to be kids that night. They got to be a teenager and experience Friday Night Football in Texas. All right. So, pretty good story. Good catch there with Dr. Qualls. Um, so, go forth. Uh, teach with grace. Um, illustrate this joy that you have being forgiven in Christ. And um, forgive others, even as Christ has forgiven you. So, bless you.